This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 435, Face Junk. Hello and welcome again to gamesatwork.biz, your weekly technology podcast. My name is Andy Piper and I am coming to you from a studio in the west of London in the UK. I am joined by two of my friends and regular co-podcasters, both of them called Michael, but I'm going to throw it over to Mr. Michael Martin first because he's been away for a week or two. How's it going, Michael? Good to have you back. Oh, so much fun to be back here, Andy, and uh, not be in a tent anymore and not be in a plane anymore. So I'm I'm, ha- I'm happy to be here. Uh, Michael, how are you this fine day? It is a fine day, and I am glad to see us back to full strength and, and experiencing the fun, the absolute joy of Upgrade Week. <laughs> So, we, so for uh, those of you who are our subscribers and and pay our Patreon, which will be no one, uh, and get <laughs> and the you gold feed, the pre-show, yeah, get the gold feed with mm-hmm. the pre-show, yeah, you would have heard all about the fun we've been having. Anyway, Andy, so glad yeah. uh, you're in the studio. It's a cool studio. Uh, I I love the background. It's great on our video feed. It's really great getting an audio podcast to to see know what's behind me, uh, which is <laughs> largely a white space, but. Uh, yeah. Um, first, before we go into our links for the week, I was going to talk about something I went to this week, which was on Tuesday in London uh, at something called Cyber Salon, which is a uh, meetup that's been running for many years. And they held a meetup in celebration of 30 years of the Mosaic web browser, um, which for those of you that remember uh, was the uh, original uh, predecessor to the Netscape browser. Um, and people were reminiscing about the days of downloading and compiling it themselves on Unix systems and X windows and trying to get uh, on, on the inter- World Wide web for the first time. So it was actually a really fun event, quite, quite small. I mean, there was, I guess there were 50 or so people there, but uh, some really interesting stories going all the way back to, uh, the beginning of the web um, and how and why uh, it came about and the alternative protocols. But the thing that I thought was fun from the perspective of our show was that one of the people on the panel is a uh, VR digital uh, artist. And uh, he was talking about the fact that they have recreated one of the original cyber cafes from London um in uh, vr in the last uh, couple of months now uh so there was a cyber cafe on tottenham court road in london in 1994 called siberia and nice uh it's literally just been recreated in in vr so they uh, were talking about how they got this cyber cafe set up back in in the day and how they had to beg borrow uh some i think hp uh computers from uh local uh, retailers so that they can actually run the cyber cafe i think they had six of them i believe <laughs> i was 
I only just at university at the time, so I was not familiar myself with going into that specific space. But uh, yeah, it was really interesting. And so they've, they've recreated this uh, Siberia space in VR. And uh, I wasn't unfortunately able to explore it whilst I was there. But uh, the gentleman, Halle Donto, uh, who uh, primarily works with the Blender animation and 3D software, was talking a little bit about uh, how he'd worked with um, the Cyber Salon folks to to put this together. So hopefully, I think um, it might be more available to play with uh, in the coming months. So that was that was really fun, and it was really interesting to see that sort of arc of you know uh, the World Wide Web coming into uh, a VR type space, and then they were talking about um, the revolutions that we've gone through since 1993 online, the internet and World Wide Web, the personal computer revolution and the open source revolution and how they've all intersected. So yeah, I just wanted to tell you both about it and our listeners about Very. it. And I may write about it as well in the near future. Very cool. One one of the things that got me thinking when when I saw your post on it and the and the the history of Mosaic, I was trying to remember the first browser I used um there was one on OS2 uh, that a single developer out of IBM Denmark, I think it was, or the Netherlands lab, uh, had generated that uh, was multi-threaded, which most browsers weren't. You still had to you know, kind of load each page or each component on the page one after the next, which was which was kind of really cool. And then that got me thinking of the Lynx browser, which yes. uh, I don't know if either of you ever used it. Oh, yes, regularly. <laughs> I still use it occasionally. Yeah, yeah, which uh, for those uh, who would love to see that in VR, that'd be really yeah. interesting since it's a text-based browser. Sure that would make a lot of sense, yeah, okay. <laughs> but very, very cool. Um, yeah, it brings back, brings back memories. I, I, the, 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 uh, that little computer company, uh, technology company, IBM, was certainly mentioned uh, at the event on Tuesday a couple of times. And for its enduring, its enduring uh, capabilities and... Uh, successes so that was an interesting little uh, uh section as well <laughs> well i'm fresh back from the boston area where i was driving down route 128 and looking at all the various exits there going oh yeah that's where data Gen general had their offices oh yeah that's where digital equipment corporation <laughs> had their offices mm. so it, it's been certainly a um a lot of reminiscing time and it's very cool that uh it's it's called siberia and it's available that's to go visit name. i love that I love that. Well, um, um, I also love Andy. By the way, the, the post that you made about your um, your maker space uh, tent enhancements of mm -hmm. the LED lights and the like, I thought that was really quite cool and uh, something I have to look into at some point. I've got the solar lanterns uh, already in place, uh, but not the multicolored environments, uh, and that might be something. Uh, maybe I'll get my daughter to to try that on as a project uh, and and say, "Hey, here's a new Raspberry Pi for you. Why don't you give it a give it a go <laughs> yeah that was a, a lot of fun have any not, of you ordered the new pie not yet oh yeah so we're actually <laughs> going to be running of course andy <laughs> well we're going to be running our, our pop-up makerspace makeroni is going to be running a uh raspberry pi 5 uh introductory event at the beginning Ooh, of november cool it does depend on uh us actually receiving our pi fives which receiving them yes until the end of the month and uh, certain people get priority based on memberships or not memberships uh, subscriptions to 
things. So we're hoping to have at least uh, one or two Pi uh, Fives to, to play with. But we, we got listed on the official Raspberry Pi website as well. So it's quite nice. Oh, cool. So, so do you suppose if um, a non-priority person like me were to place an order for a five that I would have one in my hands by Christmas time for, for a gift for my daughter? Or do you think, oh, I think uh, so. that's out of the question? I get that still. impression. Yeah. No, I get that impression. I'm not certain. I can't be sure. But uh, I think that that might, that might well happen. Okay, good. Well, she's not a listener to the show, which is probably good for her. So she won't know it's coming. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, we, we should move into sort of the, the show notes and the ideas and stories that um, we had assembled for the week. And the first one of the bunch is all about space junk um, and about satellites and things flying around and near earth orbit and what happens when you don't take good care of them. So uh, what's, what's interesting here is the federal communications commission has the ability to issue fines. If you don't take care of the things that you've put up into near earth orbit. And and this is their first fine, right? That they've actually issued, uh, which was the cool thing about it. The thing that got me thinking uh, when I saw this article was about Kessler syndrome, uh, which is the idea that uh, you would have so many satellites in the Earth's atmosphere that one would break or get destroyed and the space junk from that would hit another and it would hit others and others and others until you had a cloud of space junk around the Earth and it would disallow us from launching off the Earth ever again. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's, that's like one of these, you know... Uh, uh, Armageddon type scenarios. And I was listening to, uh, I want to say it was planetary radio a couple of weeks back and they were talking about Kessler syndrome. Um, and, uh, the, the basic idea is, you know, space is big, <laughs> really, really big. We're not that crowded yet in the earth's, uh, near space, uh, to where this is something to worry about. And there are things to deorbit space junk, uh, as well as plans of companies that want to like build satellites with nets behind them to capture the space oh, junk. Space trawlers. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, so, but, what, but are they every time launch, I see, are they going to launch a net and then have it on like a long cable and then pull the pull the <laughs> junk back down again? I mean, how does that work? It th- doesn't make th- sense. Th- think think of a shuttle with a trawler, uh, a trawler, right, with with a net behind it. That the problem is. Infinitely small pieces can be problematic. So uh, we'll, yeah, we'll have absolutely. a link to the, the story behind Kessler syndrome in there too. But it's uh, as soon as I saw this, I was like, well, we've got a bunch of, uh, you know, companies trying to launch satellites outside of the control of traditional satellite launch things. And how do you put controls in place that we actually don't ever get to that point? Well, so there's a couple of thoughts I have here. One of them being how long it's taken to for this to be uh an issue actually done yeah exactly well not 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 for it to be an issue but for for the the fine to be issued right so Mm. evidently according to the story dish the company that's been fined had told the fcc that it was going to deal with this problem back in 2012 and it took 10 years uh and said they were going to move it uh, and then they didn't and now it's still a problem and at that point, they they broken the rules. So I guess it's, technically it's been maybe a year rather than ten years, but it's been a it's been a it seems to be slow moving. And, uh, and without going into all of those other topics, I, I have this issue with a lot of legal processes um, in both of our countries at the moment, uh, taking a long time, taking and, a long time, and not <laughs> uh, you know not 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 
setting things straight more quickly and uh, get, uh, making sure people are taking down uh, a notch, etc. The other question I have, though, is we know that the U.S. is obviously a very large spacefaring uh, nation, but uh, it's certainly not the only one uh, putting satellites right. and, and other things in orbit. And how are how is this all being managed? That uh, again, coming back to your planetary There's- radio. Uh, There's actually international organizations that track every piece of junk across all countries floating around above the earth. And space law too, right? Um, Was that where you were going, Andy? Well, there it is. And in fact, one of our good friends, uh, Kelly, uh, has done a lot of work um, uh, in Australia around uh, space regulations and management as well. So um, it's really interesting. I was also just amused um, before we move on, uh, Michael, by uh, your reference to planetary radio and of course uh, yes. got me thinking about interstellar networks uh news and, interstellar <laughs> inter- and, and other things but uh yeah well, well you- actually planetary radio is part of the planetary society it's a podcast that they do uh, okay <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I I never clicked it into ISS uh, uh, ISS ISN sorry ISN inter- uh, from from Babylon Five, which was yeah. hilarious. Yeah, I know you, you've uh, you found a uh, a song that you wanted to share with us as well on this topic. Well, as soon as I saw this article, I immediately remembered a song by the band Devo called Space Junk, uh, which is off their very first album, and uh, I found a video of it that uh, uh, actually talks about all the crap up in the sky it was they 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 wrote the song in the i want to say like 1976 1977 wow when uh when sputnik um as well as i think skylab were both they were just talking about stuff being deorbited into the earth Uh, so skylab was coming down and yeah yeah so then that was a big worry at the time about where it was going to land it was exactly so Uh, uh, we don't worry about that anymore we just we just have stuff landing we in our say, backyards yeah. all, the, all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, at least we don't have so. space whales to worry about here on Earth, so that's a good thing. No, uh, no pergol leaving their bones lying around in our Earth, Earth orbit, right? So, um, m- moving along to... So it shouldn't be called the Kessler effect, it should be called the pergol effect. I Depends. <laughs> I mean, if you've got those big boned whales, I mean, I, I would have whales. thought that there's got to be lasers or something to allow for the transit, you know, up and down, or maybe yeah. they'll get formed into rings. Space elevators. And you kind of have to go around the ring. I, I don't know. Not a space uh, <laughs> geologist or whatever. Um, Spaceologist. <laughs> space gravitational <laughs> specialist. Uh Let's move to something that maybe some of us know a little bit more about. Michael, I suspect you probably know much more about this. Um, it's a trackpad enhancement experience that we picked up off of Mac uh, Stories this week about how to use the Better Touch tool. Well, actually, you know, I I use Better Touch tool since like 2016. Oh, wow. Uh, so you know a lot. Because the idea behind it was... It was a a tool to enhance your experience on the touch bar on the MacBook Pro. Oh, mm-hmm. I think it was. And just, so I want to say did it come it out was, even before then? I want to pre- say it predates that. It's It's been an, an app, one of those apps that's become sort of a super app for anything related to input yeah. on the Mac. But well, yeah, I certainly remember using it when I had the touch bar and you could program. I like the touch bar and it was great for it. And I was one of the few people, I guess, who liked the touch bar. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had a couple of shortcuts programmed on there, which did multiple things for me uh, on the touch yeah. bar uh, with better touch tool. But uh, I also have used it more recently to resurrect my Griffin uh, 
PowerMate. I don't know if you guys remember the PowerMate, but it's this little, uh, well, not Ooh. little, it's this kind of uh, stainless yes. steel uh, knob that you can turn and you used to have a USB driver, but that's not how things work quite. Well, it's not quite the same anymore uh, with input devices. So I've got that better touch tool currently working, letting me use that uh, for anything I want, but it is primarily a, a volume knob and, uh, and a mute button for me. But ironically, I now have a different keyboard, which also has one of those things on it. So I need to repurpose the power mate again. <laughs> Anywho, the point about better touch tool is you can do a ton of things with it. And they... And uh, now there's more. ...talked about the fact that you can use it to enhance your window management. Now, um, I think this was really more directly aimed at uh, not just at um, stage manager, but also just generally um, managing desktop environments on the Mac. Now, I have gone in between using the trackpad and using the desktop track, magic trackpad, and using mm -hmm. a mouse um, with the Mac. And certainly when I do use a trackpad, I'm a very heavy user of multi-touch uh, things, so it's a, uh, gestures. So when I swipe up with three fingers i my, my spaces and my mission control comes up and i can see all my things and uh and that's really useful and i can do my my four finger swipe left and right between spaces i use spaces a lot in mission mm -hmm. control i don't love stage manager at all mm. uh, and it's probably because i'm so set in my ways with this stuff but it was a nice tutorial i thought in mac stories for those of uh, our listeners who don't use a mac this is possibly not as useful or interesting <laughs> But, so, uh, so I was going to ask, how long did you give Stage Manager a try? Oh, I've tried it uh, um, both with the previous release of the OS and, and the new one, especially with the improvements with uh, iPad OS this time around. Um, but and I've I've used it for sort of more than a day in a row to try to to get used to it and comfortable with it. Um, I haven't committed to like spending a whole month do just doing that because I again I have a way of working and I do yeah. use spaces heavily on the when I'm using the desktop. Uh so and I also still don't currently find iPadOS that great for multitasking and, and using multiple apps at once. I, you certainly I've certainly been to events recently where I have resized windows inside stage manager and had multiple things on the screen at once. And I on the iPad, and I thought that was kind of cool, but ultimately, I just end up wanting a wanting a full full desktop. Yeah, I I, I tried on my Mac to use Stage Manager uh, for a month, and it just like you, Andy. I I must be set up my my ways because it's just annoying. Well, uh, opening up a new window and everything got out of the way and went off to the side, right? Well, and yeah, I know you can hold down shift and open a window, but it's just, uh, it's not there. I gave a talk last week um, that was about social networks and it was very much encouraging people to take the opportunity to learn something new. And it was very much actually in the same sort of vain as the talk that was given on on tuesday night in london about the mosaic browser and they were saying you know 2023 is 1993 all over again we're at this cusp of all of this new stuff and and, and we don't know what the next 30 years will hold and and i said the same thing related to social networks um recently i said 15 years ago when we all started doing the the twitter and other networks and platforms i feel like we're back at that starting point again we've got a bunch of new things right in front of us so i 
do try. I'm not always successful, as I've just said, to adopt and try new new uh, ways of working. I definitely don't believe in the idea that I'm too old to to, to learn new things. Um, so I'm I will continue to give things a try. Um, but uh, we the rest of our links on the, in this show more or less are in a similar vein, right? We've got uh, yep, we've got different ways of interacting both with our cars and with ourselves and other stuff, I guess. Yeah. So if we move along to the story about Porsche and Apple CarPlay, it's, it's funny because some aspects of stage manager do show up in CarPlay and I can see where the evolution is going to move in that direction too. I've been a user of stage manager since the beginning and I haven't turned it off on the machines that can run it. Uh, but I've never, I never was a big spaces person. So that's probably Uh, why I'm able to be there and don't have the mental model around spaces mm -hmm. that I'm having to readjust from, but it was really an intriguing article because we've heard lots of stories here of late about other car companies saying, Hey, you know what? Um, we don't want to use CarPlay. We want to use our own technology stack and how we want to engage with the automotive experience. Porsche on the other hand is like, no, no, we're all in. And according to this article, not from personal experience, um, not only is CarPlay all in in the Porsche environment, but they've also enabled now other car controls within the context of CarPlay. And that feels like a really interesting it, next evolution. Is, is that really CarPlay or is it the, the, the larger CarPlay auto OS stuff that they introduced a couple of years ago? Well, I think it's, it's the latter. It's because it does have that interaction with the system, the vehicle systems. They refer to this automaker toolkit um, exactly. in, this, in this story, which um, which is apparently provided to uh, OEMs, or to, not to OEMs, to to car car manufacturers for doing that read write mm-hmm. access to the to the car system. Um, so they don't entirely say this is you know, the new CarPlay that they launched, I believe, uh, or they announced, I believe, at last year's WWDC, which required, yeah, basically required you to have much bigger screens and more screens in the car which are all connected. But um, they make a couple of references in this particular story in Ars Technica to both the Porsche Cayenne, um, which is going to have the new Porsche app in it, which has got all kinds of other nice features that let you control the car directly through the same interface but evidently say to have one as well although theirs is read only without uh, so they can obviously read data from the car but not push it back in uh it it looks nice i was thinking to myself it is probably a natural fit for porsche as a luxury slash high-end aspirational brand to pair with apple whereas you could be um, somewhat cynical uh, and say, well, GM are going to be, you know, racing to the bottom more or less for, for, for mass market and therefore will want to do stuff as cheaply as they can, arguably, um, and build their own stuff rather than having to pay license fees or work with, well, I- with Apple or Google. I, w- I was thinking at a slightly different that, that uh, you know, Porsche wanted to stay in their lane and focus on cars uh, and General Motors wants to be a software company. Well, I think, and I think that's absolutely right as well. Uh, uh, but then, and then we of course come to that confluence of 
the software and the car hardware and the fact that everything is now just a, a massive battery on wheels in the case of cars um, with, with an operating system. Um, but let's talk about... And there's a, that one last point on this. So there's a complexity okay. and a simple, simplicity aspect to this too. So you can see where the introduction of shortcuts, which has been around for a little while, could be of enormous use in an automotive experience too. So you can think about personalization. You can think about different things that you want to change the uh, interior lighting color, kind of like your tent, Andy, in the car based on what mood you have, what playlist you want, what it is that you're doing. Um, not sure that the average Porsche owner might be so inclined to go do all of those things as shortcuts, but that could be a next step in that direction. And Porsche is wanting to really customize the experience for the driver and allow them the focus to be on driving as opposed to fiddling with all the controls for all, for all those reasons. I have to go sideways here slightly for a moment and just say that as we're um, talking about this, I've got the Ars Technica story on my screen and it's annoyingly because I don't have my ad blocker switched on, got all the ads um, all around the edge of it. And I, as I look at my screen right now, Michael Martin is in a window, a little mini window at the top right of my screen. And right underneath <laughs> that is um, an ad, which I think is probably for the new games of war game or something like that, which is one of these video ads. And you've got all these people kind of moving around. So you've got Michael's, upper upper half um with like these ridiculously cyborg uh characters just below it moving around in this the virtual space so yeah it's uh kind of weird and distracting anyway talking of things that are weird and probably distracting in the future um everybody in the ai space is now racing to make us wear their stuff it seems mm-hmm and and stuff without screens, right? So we've talked about Humane a couple of different times on the podcast in the last months. Uh, there was a um, a a teasing, if you will, of the new AI pin, which we've heard about before at Paris Fashion Week. So it's being shown as kind of a fashion accessory, which is not too distant from many of the technology bits that we've been talking about here before, including the car conversation. Um, and it's coming uh, in November. November 9th is the, the date, according to the article that we've got from Cult of Mac. And for those that don't remember, the Humane AI pin is exactly what it sounds like. It is a pin that can listen and then provide insight and information to the user with all, I, all of that I, that it entails. I want to I take issue with the exactly what it sounds like. Um, yeah. Big <laughs> pin in the, in the Humane pin. Um, I think pin in, yeah. the cont in, in the US use of the term, American English use of the term does generally refer to what in the UK we would refer to as a, a badge or a pin on badge or something like that. I think of a pin in the sewing or, or fabric sense, generally speaking, uh, or in the sort of map pin. With kind a of needle sense. that As in pins, pins exactly. and needles. Yes, yes. Okay. Exactly. And um, I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't necessarily say that this thing looks exactly like a pin of either type. Um, it looks right because if you look at the like, 360 video that they do, it's flat on the back. How does it pin onto anything? It looks I, must I'm, be magnetic. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm obviously just picking up on Michael's use of language there, but uh, it, it does it does look <laughs> obtrusive. I, I have no. to say. I mean, no. it, it's gonna it, it does. I mean, they've been careful to 
to put a white version on models wearing a white jacket so it doesn't look like mm-hmm. it's some, something, you know, glaringly out of place. Uh, but the other piece I thought I saw was a, I think really, I, I'd almost, I think I have to refer to it as a fast follow because we talked, I think, maybe at the beginning of the year or at the end of last year about the Rewind app, which, uh, the Rewind yep. AI app, which is this one that runs uh, on your machine and records everything you do, see or hear, so that you essentially have this super-powered ability to search through the entire history yep. of what you've been working on. Now, just out of interest, have either of you used the Rewind app? No. I I I tried to set it up locally temporarily, and then I was worried where the data was going. Mm. And I said, I haven't, nope. I haven't used it. I haven't used it. I've heard good things about it. Um, I was, however, in the last two days looking for um, websites that I had, had obtained certain pictures or models from. And the only way I could do it, I know the Mac OS generally does store some metadata about where you downloaded something from into the, into the file info. But in a couple of cases I, that wasn't available, I did have the, date that I downloaded it or the date the file was created. So I was able to go into my history on Google and figure out eventually after flipping all the switches and scrolling through my terrifyingly rich history of, uh, of browsing to figure out where I got these things from. Anywho, that's again, another rabbit hole. Um, Rewind are now saying as well that they're going to release a, a thing, uh, the Rewind Pendant. Uh, and they're going to release it quite soon. And they've already got pre-availability ordering pricing, $59 for this thing, uh, which really feels like, you know, they're having to make a move at the same time. Now, I, I haven't used Rewind. I do believe that I know I, I work, I've got former co- co-workers at both uh, of the two organizations. Um, so I might have to at some point hit them up and see what they're up to or see what they're able to talk about. But yeah, it looks interesting. Cool. It, it, it really yeah, is. I, I, I look, go ahead. I, I was about to say that um, <clears throat> these things are super interesting because they're now turning elements of fashion into devices that are helping you find the things that you're looking for anyway. Now, there's a whole range of privacy concerns, Michael, like you illustrated a moment ago. Um, there are stories that I've seen recently here, too, about uh, what was it? Apple creating the Star Trek communicator uh, I guess badge in the in the proper uh, Queen's English and King's English mm-hmm. uh, terminology there, um, but but it's the same sort of thing. Um, you got to wonder though, with all the other microphones, cameras, everything else that are around you, do you need a badge? Do okay. do you need um, something like this to fulfill that purpose, or is this now yeah. a unitasker that is in addition to all the other things that you also have? I think there is a ton. The question becomes who controls the data, right? And so if this is something where you can keep it locally, right, and you control it completely, uh, then then I think it's a good unitaster. But like you said, I mean, there's so much going around you at all times anyway, capturing it, that it may be totally irrelevant. If people were worried about Google Glass 15 years ago about what that was uh, recording, when it was recording it, uh, who, where the data was going, how uncomfortable they felt, then people were just walking around with always-on microphones all the time. Now, yes, we do have some of those in our houses, and we do carry some yep. of them in our pockets for certain, in the, in yep. the sense of wake words and things. 
but I think the privacy stuff is we, we, we're running up on time. So I know Michael Martin yes, shared this link uh, about uh, the changes to the Lego brands minifigure business cards, which is a little bit sad. Yeah, it, it was. When I saw this, I, I immediately Andy thought about you and and your Lego minifig uh, representing you. You don't you don't have like an army of them that you hand out at uh, events no. like like you were before. But uh, apparently, this was a thing for employees of the Lego company that their business card, their calling card, was a Lego minifig uh, imprinted with their Ooh. name and their contact information. And according to the article, uh, this is a practice that is being phased out at Lego. Uh, one of the things that the article speculated on was the prevalence of these minifigs, these calling card figurines that are showing up on resale sites, uh, many of them for very high amounts of money um, because they are so custom and unique. And there are Lego people who are like, I want the custom unique thing that I can't get anywhere else. So I kind of get that, but it's a sad thing because how cool is it to have a minifig that you can hand to someone as your calling card? When you say Lego Lego people, you mean there are people who are into Lego as in fans of Lego, not not like people made from Lego. Anyway, people made um, now I do remember <laughs> when I met, um, I met there was a gentleman who was presenting at a futurist conference a number of years ago who was a professor of Lego. And had one of the business cards with of himself with his details uh, on on the on the shirt, and I was super excited by that back back then. I don't remember whether I actually got his business card from him, but uh, yeah, it's it's a shame, but it's understandable as well. They yep. need to control the brand um, for, for for lots of reasons, so I don't entirely blame blame them for it. All right, friends, it's been a delight to talk to you both. This time next week, as always, when we would normally be recording, I will be in the air, very probably just above your houses as I fly to North Carolina for probably. all things open. <laughs> so uh, I'm quite excited to see you both in person very soon. It's going to be awesome Same. to have you here in the US and in North Carolina specifically, Andy. It's going to be a, a lot of fun. All right. Well, everybody, um, we always enjoy hearing your comments and thoughts on the show. So do uh, drop us a line through our website in the comments on the blog or via Mastodon, whatever is your preference. And in the meantime, bye. See ya. See ya. You've been listening to gamesatwork.biz, the podcast about gaming technology and play. We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at gamesatwork_biz or at our website at gamesatwork.biz. dot